Hello, everyone, and welcome to Passion Fruits, a passion project for passionate people. I'm your acai guy, Adam. <laughs> and yeah. I'm your I'm your nanner pudding, Daniel. Nanner pudding, huh? <laughs> yep. I don't think nanner pudding is a fruit, Daniel. Well, you really I stretch. A, I don't think acai guy is technically a fruit either, Adam. Acai <laughs> so. is. Acai is what, a berry. I know acai is a what? I know what it is, but acai guy is not a fruit. So no, 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 I mean, all right, fine. Then I'm your acai Adam. Anyways, Daniel, <laughs> Damn it. don't don't get don't get us don't get us off track. Don't this get is, it twisted. Welcome, welcome to Passion Fruits, a passion project for passionate people. This is a podcast. If you all haven't heard of a podcast before, Daniel, why don't you tell our listeners, our billions of listeners, what a podcast is? Um, well, a podcast is like radio for the internet. Um, and on this podcast, we delve into subjects that we are passionate about, subjects that our guests are passionate about, try and get down to the nugget, the diamond, the stone, if you will, of why somebody becomes so obsessed with a certain subject or thing or place or noun or whatever. But yeah, so today, uh, what are we talking about today, Adam? Today, we are talking about one of Daniel and I's favorite comic strips, Calvin and Hobbes. Not to be confused with the not notable philosophers, Calvin, uh, uh, Calvin and Hobbes. John Maybe Calvin not. and John Hobbes, I think. Is it? Right. I don't know. Hold on. Let me look at the outline. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say. Yep, John Calvin and then uh uh J Jimbo Hobbs. Thomas Hobbs. I knew it was Thomas John Hobbs. Hobbs. Yeah. Yeah, Jimbo yeah. Hobbs. Yeah. Yeah. Tommy yeah. Hobbs. Good old Jimmy 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 H as they call him. Um, that's my favorite um clothing line. Uh Tommy Tommy Hobbs. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> Tommy Bahobs. What's what's Hobbs? <laughs> No, it's too early in the morning for this. <laughs> they're they're and by uh, too early. I mean, ten thirty in the morning. <laughs> they're Hawaiian. They're Hawaiian button-up shirts with uh, little little red, white, and blue flags on them, huh? Exactly. Nice. Yes. Nice. yes. See, see, we're just all at the mashups here. We're we're very avant-garde. Yeah, know, we're, we're um we're like the we're EDM the of podcasting. We're the girl talk of podcasting. <laughs> um, so let's do some D and D right now. All right, oh, Adam, yeah. roll a roll a D twenty. Oh, I got a 52. <laughs> I rolled three D20s, actually. Once you again, rolled a 20 and you have a plus 32 to charisma. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah. yeah. Always knew you were a very char charismatic young man. Muy charismatico, senor. <laughs> In multiple languages. Ah. You're, you're bicoastal. <laughs> um. <laughs> Shit. Uh, let's hop into it, Adam, before we just go on off an uh, entirely different tangent. Um, yeah, so we're talking about my favorite comic strip, Adam's favorite comic strip, Calvin and Hobbes today. Adam, what is a comic strip? Uh, a comic strip was, uh, th they are panels of comics or are, are like a, fairly simple artistry that used to be displayed in things called newspapers. Now we <laughs> yeah. may need to explain what a newspaper is to our readers and listeners, but primarily yeah. readers, <laughs> our, our newspaper readers. Um, yeah. Newspapers is where you usually got the news, but there was all in where I grew up, we got the Washington post and in the style section was where you could find the comic strips. In in the style section, really? Yeah. Uh, where did you read your comic strips? Uh, I guess we got the Post, and then but we had the, we had the Daily News Record, which is a laughing, which is the the it's like the J New Jersey of, of newspapers. It's the the arm oh, of newspapers. It stinks. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> it stinks. It stinks. It stinks. Um, I think ours were in the opinion section. Ah, Maybe. well, I mean, who's more opinionated than a comic strip artist? Yeah, that's so. true. That's true. But yeah, like Adam said, uh, similar to comic books, comic strips were sequential stories in square format or rectangular format um, that were usually three to four panels on the weekdays. And then on Sundays is when comic 
authors and artists could expand a little bit and strips were nine um, sometimes as as we'll get into it with Bill Watterson uh, could take up a whole page of color comics and there are several long-running comic strips like Peanuts um, which may just be classic Peanuts even though they're still running there's of course Garfield my second favorite (laughs) comic strip (laughs) is it really your second favorite comic strip we'll get into comic strips and which ones I was into but I mean unfortunately maybe (laughs) it's so bad um (laughs) uh, but yeah they are kind of uh comic strips have kind of run the gamut of subjects but the one we're going to talk specifically about uh centers around a young six-year-old boy calvin and his stuffed animal tiger hobbs Uh, As our outline says, his sardonic stuffed tiger. However, in Calvin and Hobbes, while all grownups and other individuals see Hobbes the tiger as a stuffed animal, Calvin sees him as a living and breathing tiger. Rare. Rare indeed, Adam. (laughs) Let's get some uh, uh, late morning delight going in. But yeah, so Adam, do you want to talk more, introduce Calvin and Hobbes a little bit more? Yeah. So Calvin and Hobbes was uh, really introduced back, uh, let's see, in like the, the mid 80s, essentially. So our, our Passion Fruits PDA section states that the first strip was published on November 18th, 1985, wow. uh, in, in just 35 newspapers. Now, as the comic strip was made more popular at the height of its popularity. It featured in over 2,400 newspapers worldwide. Um, and actually reruns are still uh, printed in newspapers to this day. I, I think, and this we're going to talk about this as well, but a big part of the comic strip is the, I wouldn't say cult of personality, but kind of the mystery behind Bill Watterson, who is the yeah. author and uh, comic strip driver. Basically, he, he is Calvin and Hobbes. And his, at times, um, contentious relationship with newspapers and with, uh, yeah, w- with with the newspaper industry, with the comics, w- with kind of the the business side of of drawing and writing comic strips, and then especially with the idea of syndication and, and how how he's supposed to make his money as an artist. Yeah, but Calvin and Hobbes, I mean, Calvin's a, a, a six year old boy. Um, a very, very well-spoken six-year-old boy, which I think is one of the endearing parts about the, uh, uh, about the strip. And basically totally. it's, it's him living his life. Um, he never, he trying to make it in you know, this workaday world. Exactly. He's just working nine to five, uh, like <laughs> Dolly Parton. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I think the, and we're going to really dive into this when it gets to the I heart Calvin and Hobbes section, but yeah. you know, they're, they're broader themes about, uh, what what the strips are about and it it's everything from the mundane like taking baths and having to clean up his room to broader issues of public health and education and environmentalism um, there's yeah. there's a lot of philosophical discussion going on within the comic strip and then the you know the the third aspect to this that i think is one of the most fantastic is the the wild kind of expressive imagination that that Calvin has. And once again, that ties back to Calvin just as a, this really dynamic character. So, you know, I, yeah. I think where some comic strips are pretty myopic in focus and the jokes are kind of rehashed over and over again, uh, Calvin and Hobbes really pushed the bound, in my opinion, pushed the boundaries of what having a comic strip was capable of doing. So anyways, that's, that's that we, we've kind of blurred the lines there a little bit, but yeah, what 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 other aspects of Calvin and Hobbes would do you want to point out, like the characters or, or, or the format, so on and so forth? I guess as we're kind of getting into our cocoa corner and um, other sections of our episode, I guess one thing uh, that really typified the uh, Calvin and Hobbes comic strip was how much Bill Watterson pushed the art form, and like he considered comic strips an art form and how he continued to push that forward to try and express as much as he could in 
you know, three panels or on a Sunday strip. I mean, by the middle three quarters of his career, he was getting full pages in the Sunday strips. He was not using panels. You know, it would just be huge splash pages of a T-Rex flying a F-14 fighter jet. Bill Watterson really took his, while other people kind of looked down on comic strips and comic strip artists, Bill Watterson really pushed what you could do as an artist and it like people consider once Calvin and Hobbes was done, people consider that was like the last golden age of comic strip comics. And I certainly haven't kept up with comic strips, mostly because I don't get a newspaper anymore. But um, you what? Oh yeah, goodness. sorry. I mean, I go down to my local five and dime every single morning, pick up the news and um, say Eisenhower did what? Get me on the ticker tape. <laughs> 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 but I, I, well, could, I just I just get my news via Telegraph every morning. That's what. Happens. Oh, nice. <laughs> I get I get mine uh, via Carrier Pigeon, which in this time probably is not good because I think they're dirty, dirty birds. But <laughs> just like me, I'm a dirty bird. <laughs> so yeah, why don't we? Is there anything else you want to talk about with Calvin and Hobbes, Adam? We'll no, kind I, of- I, I think you know it gives. Uh, the the further descri- descriptions of the comic strip will be revealed as we go into Coca Corner and the I Heart Calvin and Hobbes section. So, Daniel, do you want to start us off and and talk about how you got into Calvin and Hobbes and how that's evolved over time? Yeah. So, uh, like I kind of talked about in uh, our comic book episode, I got into comic strips and comics in general, um, kind of in middle school when we would come home from school. Uh, we would, and that was around the time that me and my brothers could, uh, go home, uh, and my, both our parents were working. Um, so we would be home alone. So we would, we were old enough to be home alone and we would usually have, I would usually have a snack after coming home from school, taking the bus home and then reading the comic strips when I was eating my snack and reading the style section of the Washington Post, getting all the movie reviews, like figuring out what's going on in the fashion world. Um, And that's just how I got so fashionable today. You know, I'm on the cutting edge of everything right now. Oh, yeah. It's very, very cutting edge. That's why people listen to us, Daniels. They they (laughs) want to know what's up. They you're the you're the trend setter or at least the trend identifier for the trends that you're not uh, immediately involved in. Yeah, I'm the right? trend jet setter because I like to fly around a bunch. Hopefully not um, now. Uh, hashtag no, COVID-19. It's, it's really difficult. But yeah, when uh, I would read the comic strips, you know, the kind of classic ones that you would think would be in there uh, were there. Garfield, Dilbert, Peanuts, um, Boondocks were there. I'm trying to remember some of the other ones. But Unfortunately, Calvin and Hobbes wasn't, which is kind of strange that Calvin and Hobbes wasn't being reprinted in the Washington Post. And I think I might have gotten a Calvin and Hobbes, like the essential Calvin and Hobbes, a compendium of some of the comics as like a birthday gift one time. Yeah. Or when Borders was still a thing, we went to a Borders and I would immediately head to the humor section. And before I was picking up uh, Garfield's Fat Cat three packs. <laughs> Wait, 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 Daniel. I thought we, we're, we're, you know, it's sad that Borders doesn't exist, but at least we're recording inside an abandoned Borders right now. Right. That's how we've uh, maintained our distance is Adam's at one end of the Borders. (laughs) He's in the DVD section and I'm in the uh, humor section. Uh, That's why all my jokes are so funny. (laughs) 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 But yeah, so, uh, you know, I would go immediately to the humor section, look at Garfield fat cat three packs and get look at Calvin and Hobbes books and try and convince my parents to let me buy another book of comic strips. And what was nice was that my parents, like I remember reading in middle school and high school and my love for comic strips continued through high school. And I I know I've read like actual books in middle school and high school, but I'm trying to remember really what books I read. I know I was reading books for English class and stuff like that, but it was almost like comic strips and reading Calvin and Hobbes were a good way for me to read 
and escape those kind of school assigned books yeah. that I could kind of take my mind could take a little bit of a break. And my parents never discouraged me from reading, especially Calvin and Hobbes, because it Calvin for a six year old is very well read. So yeah, I was never discouraged from reading comic strips and my love for Calvin and Hobbes just deepened so much just by trying to collect as many of the classic collections as I could, like uh, Revenge of the Babysat, Attack of the Giant Killer Monster Snow Goons, uh, Homicidal homicidal Psycho Jungle Cat. Uh, It was just this amazing kind of world that Bill Watterson created uh, with amazing characters and amazing artwork that just and amazing jokes and humor that made me just uh, laugh out loud, Adam. I lolled and ruffled all over the place. So I know that's just a snapshot of how I got into Calvin and Hobbes. How did you get into Calvin and Hobbes? So I got into Calvin Hobbes. I was introduced to it from my aunt uh, or aunt, whichever part of the country you, you refer to, you prefer to pronounce that word. Um, so my aunt introduced me to Calvin and Hobbes. Um, the first collection that she gave us or gave, gave me was homicide, sorry, homicidal psycho jungle cat. So it's the, yeah, it's the, the, the black cover uh, yeah. with Hobbs jumping out of the jumping out of the closet, jumping out of the door, t- getting <laughs> yeah. ready to, to pounce on Calvin. And and I remember the first time we got it, we basically spent half a day just reading through it. And it was usually like my aunt uh, reading to us. And I was five, maybe six at the time. Gotcha. And so really young. And quite frankly, I didn't understand a lot of the jokes. <laughs> <laughs> I, so, I'm not surprised. So there were there were a lot of different... I, and I think this is the brilliance of the comic strip is uh, it's rereadable and you get something new and you get the nuance every time you read it. But I remember you know, the jokes I was drawn to initially were all like kind of the slapstick comedy jokes that... Uh, I would say make up the the outermost layer of, of most common Calvin and Hobbes uh, right. strips. So I, I but I really love those. Um, and basically, as I started to identify more with Calvin and Hobbes, it's kind of like my favorite comic strip, and that pushed me into like yourself getting more of the collections in the books. Uh, you know, I. I and especially as I got older, you know, more close to 10, 11 years old, I really enjoyed reading the collections that had Bill Watterson's commentary in there. So like reading the Fords or the afterwards and like the, the 10th anniversary collection, oh, yeah. which is like the, his best of up to that point, like had, had his notes and kind of his creative process. And like I said, we'll get into that a little bit later on. And then, um, I wrapped it up a, a few years ago with the complete Calvin and Hobbes four book set. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. We before we started recording, Adam and I got into a huge argument about the hardcover complete Calvin and Hobbes versus the soft cover. I oh. maintain the hardcover is the way to go. Adam <laughs> says soft cover is the the hardcover. The the binding starts to fall apart every single review I've said I've, I've heard. So apparently, I'm just a bigger fan of Calvin and Hobbes because I want <laughs> I want longevity in my collection. <laughs> I showed I, you my collection. <laughs> I took a picture of it. Uh, I didn't open the book, so there you couldn't see the bindings, but they yeah. are they are perfectly fine, Adam. I also <laughs> know how to. Um, See, back in fourth grade for the Colonial Williamsburg Fair we did, uh-huh. um, I was a bookbinder, so I learned how to bind books. <laughs> oh, okay. So, so. <laughs> so uh, just if your collection ever falls apart, I will put on my uh, Colonial pantaloons and I will <laughs> buy candlelight, sew and stitch your book back together. <laughs> Good to know. Maybe I'll just have you make my soft covers into hard covers. How about exactly. that? Exactly. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll draw Calvin and Hobbes myself. Okay. This um, is, this will be great. I'll add new characters. One of them is going to be ice cube. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> um, um, do you think ice cube ever ended up having a good day? <laughs> This just really delves into the deep philosophical questions around, you know, uh, uh, Southern California eighties, nineties hip hop. This is this is a dramatic change. Well, well, this is our, like I said, this is our bicoastal episode. Yes. Um, (laughs) See, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I do see Adam. I do see. Um. Uh, Anyways, to the subject at hand. So. I'd say Calvin and Hobbes really encouraged me to start reading more comics. Yeah. 
as in general. So I started reading a lot, uh, a lot of other comics, such as like I love Foxtrot. It's oh, still yeah. going on. Shoe. Do you remember the comic strip shoe? Is that the I think old- I read some of that. Yeah. I I have a couple of the of those collection. Yeah, I, I don't know what drew me to that comic strip, but I, I always enjoyed it. Did you ever get into the Far Side? Because that was another. It was like Garfield, Calvin and Hobbes, and the Far Side that were my yeah. big three comic I, strips. I really enjoyed Far Side. I have a couple Far Side collections as well. Nice, but yeah, like Zitz, Pearls Before Swine, and then I've recently uh, just starting to starting to reread Dilbert. Which is <laughs> so disappointing to me, Adam. <laughs> I don't know why, but it is. It's a, it speaks to me so much as a as a uh, entrenched person who works in the tech industry. Um, Luckily, you don't hate women, so <laughs> that's true. I think the interesting thing is, you know, I didn't really enjoy Peanuts or or actually Garfield or some of the more classic comic strips I just didn't find as funny and maybe because they weren't as nuanced as, as like Calvin and Hobbes or Shoe. Right. Or, I actually think Pearls prefer Pearls Before Swine has a wonderfully sarcastic turn to it. Totally. That I, that I really like. And I think it that starts to mirror uh some of the Calvin and Hobbes type humor. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I I'd say Shoe was was a big one for me that that I identified a lot with as far as like the type of humor that Cal, that Calvin and Hobbes. And kind of with that evolution, reading Calvin and Hobbes did as it pushed me into other comic strips, it actually makes me come come back and like really appreciate Calvin and Hobbes every time yeah. I go back and reread the comic strips. I think this it's this wonderfully unique uh, medium and a wonderfully unique uh, sense of humor and tone that that I don't think anyone has has matched since since Bill Watterson. Yeah, so, I'd say the other thing too is. It definitely opened me up to different co- other comic strips, but it it made me read the newspaper because yeah. you know every like my sister and I would argue over who gets the uh, the funnies section every uh, uh, every Sunday. So that was like the big <laughs> thing in our in our households when the Washington Post came and the the big color uh, uh, comic strip section would come would come. That's where we would get into some squabbles over who gets to read what first. Oh man, did. Calvin and Hobbes reading Calvin and Hobbes ever get you into because I remember reading some Calvin and Hobbes strips and you know Calvin has multiple alter egos like his detective Tracer Bullet of course his uh, spaceman Spiff character uh, his superhero character Stupendous Man um, along with many others did that ever either inspire you to draw or did it inspire you to and since you got into Calvin and Hobbes pretty young, did it ever inspire you to kind of imagine like you were Stupendous Man or Tracer Bullet or Spaceman Spiff? Did you ever play in that kind of space that Calvin played in? Uh, I, I'd say it was concurrent. Yeah, the, I, I think one of the, the beautiful things about Calvin and Hobbes is all the different imaginative worlds that he was sent to uh, with with Hobbes in like a cardboard box. Um, so I don't think it made me, it didn't make me want to go and like be Spaceman Spiff, but it definitely pushed myself and my sister to go play outside and like think of different games as far as, uh, how do I put this? So yeah, yes and no. It didn't, honestly, it didn't inspire me to draw. Um, that's, gotcha. I think I tried once to like do a comic strip and it was terrible. <laughs> you tried uh, once to do a page exactly like Bill Waterson and you're like, damn it. <laughs> Why yeah. can't I be as good as Bill Waterson? <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> um, <laughs> I didn't, under- I didn't understand why. Um, yeah. I-, I remember being inspired to do uh, like really interesting thing. I- and granted I grew up at the house I grew up in, um, Especially was that. a very, very, very fine house oh, with two cats in the yard. Yeah, Life cat. used to be so hard. Now everything is easy because of Calvin and Hobbes. <laughs> so one of the one of the <laughs> motifs about Calvin and Hobbes is he has this like expansive backyard, which is looks like a state forest essentially. Yeah. Um, but that was more or less my backyard. Like we had uh, a basically a big forested 
uh, area in our backyard that sloped down to a river. So a lot of the stuff that Calvin did, like making forts and going exploring and all that stuff, like my sister and I did all the time because that was just like what we what we did. So that nice. was that was always interesting. And I think that's so it wasn't as as fantastical as I think a lot of other people perceived that setting to be just because it was like, oh, yeah, that's that's like what I do on on the reg. Right. Did how about yourself, Daniel? Did did you try and like become a uh, a were you a burgeoning comic strip artist? And uh... <laughs> well, now I'm trying to think in rethinking talking you talking about Calvin and Hobbes and how you got into it. I'm trying to remember because I remember friend from elementary school and middle school and high school, Tom. He was a huge Calvin and Hobbes fan, and he might have actually introduced me to Calvin and Hobbes in elementary school when we were when I was still kind of playing imaginative games with my younger brother. Um, I do remember sitting up in our tree fort uh, pretending to be spies and using the acronym gross, get rid of slimy girls. <laughs> <laughs> and in kind of talking about Calvin's alter egos, because Calvin, one thing I love about the Calvin and Hobbes comic strip is while there are some strips that are just self-contained. Bill Watterson often did complete series that would run for a week, two weeks where Calvin would get into certain situations and would have to get out of that. But some of the series and one shot comics that Bill Watterson did were focused on Spaceman Spiff and Stupendous Man. And I'm trying to think if that's like kind of what because I, I love reading sci-fi and of yeah. course I love the superhero movies that have all come out. I wonder if Calvin and Hobbes really like fostered that interest in science fiction and um, those that the superhero movies now kind of connect me back to that more innocent time of, you know, the coolest superhero you could read about was stupendous man who was actually a six-year-old kid who had a stuffed tiger as his sidekick. Yeah. So, you know, we're just discovering a lot about ourselves today, Adam, you know, ah, gosh, <laughs> life and stuff. I definitely tried to uh, create my own comic strips, but really, um, and you know, I've always liked drawing and sketching, uh, even just doodling. I've done that my entire life, but what, really kind of resonated with me with Calvin and Hobbes was just the sense of humor. And that is something like how we talked about in our Simpsons episode, how in when I started watching the Simpsons in like high school, yeah. that really shaped my sense of humor. Um, like Calvin and Hobbes going from elementary school to middle school and to high school to now has also really shaped my sense of humor with just the wordplay that Bill Watterson used to, uh, crafted joke to the fantastical worlds that he created. So question for you too, did, were your, were other members of your family as invested in Calvin and Hobbes or comic strips in general? Um, no, not really. My younger brother, and my older brother kind of had a phase where he read some of the Garfield and Dilbert stuff. My younger brother would often read some of, I think he read maybe most of the Calvin and Hobbes and most of the Garfields that we had, but I don't think he held on to it as much as I did. And I don't think he would, yeah, I, I don't think he would re have like a Calvin and Hobbes collection. I, I considered the Calvin and Hobbes collections that we had to be mine. <laughs> maybe that's selfish yeah. as an older brother, but um, I was really the one who would read them and then reread them almost immediately in our house so yeah what did your sister um have she, a similar thing or she she did to a certain extent like she and she has a couple calvin and hobbs books but like my parents didn't really read comic strips um and, and i don't think it was just like an adult versus chill child thing yeah. because you know, obviously it was like my aunt who introduced me uh, you know one of my other aunts you know lo you know the first thing she grabs out of the sunday paper is the is the funny section right um so i i guess it's just not in my parents personality but i know i really enjoy uh the medium if you will yeah totally so, but yeah well i think that good good storytelling yeah Mr. good Mr. 
good cocoa corner. Nice. <laughs> Let's hop into. I, I I think this is going to be the 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 most fun section of just you know why we heart Calvin and Hobbes and what we think separates it that kind of sets it apart from a lot of other comic strips. Um, Daniel, do you want to kick off? You want me to go? Um, sure, I can kick off a little bit, and we can trade uh, kind of stories and because okay. I think probably a lot of the reasons why we love Calvin and Hobbes is going to be similar. One thing, and I know I talked about it in our cacao corner. One thing that I love is the absurd stories that Bill Watterson came up with you. It's interesting because he's a, an adult creating this comic strip. Then people consider comic strips for kids, but it's this six year old kid and this stuffed tiger talking like adults, but he puts them in fantastic situations and fantastic stories that are just the absurdity of it is just so wonderful um i i think it's absurd but at the same time it's very relatable oh totally yeah 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 that, i'm absurd i think absurd in that <laughs> it's a six-year-old um who's almost more mature sometimes than some than uh well not more mature than the adults around him but um no, no, I, sorry do you mind if i cut in because yeah, i think go for it. this is this is a this is a point i i think Bill Watterson does an amazing job of giving the perspective of a situation as a six-year-old. So yeah. I think it his the you know Calvin's vocabulary belays like this very perceptive personality that Calvin has, and it's this really really like fantastic balance of being very thoughtful about things and Calvin thinking deeply about certain certain philosophical. Uh, uh, things but from the perspective of a six-year-old and at the same time most of that's still being driven by the underlying immaturity of being a six-year-old right so i think it's this um i don't know if it, it's if you know bill waterson's a child psychologist or anything but i think it it points to how well children's personalities are or mm-hmm. sorry how well developed children's personalities are around this age but many times they're once again their underlying immaturity or or just their their reaction to stimuli in general tend to kind of mask that or they're, they're not able to express that to adults and i think that's where hobbes comes in is hobbes this you know this yin to calvin's yang and even though he's a stuffed animal in real life like it's calvin having these really philosophical discussions with his with his stuffed animal slash best friend right. and because of that, I think you know that one one of the key things about Calvin and Hobbes is that whenever there's an adult in the room, or when or in in, in the panel, Hobbes is a stuffed tiger. But whenever it's just Calvin and Hobbes, you know, Hobbes is this fully anthropomorphic character, right? Um, so, it, like I said, I think Bill Watterson just plays really, really well off of that. Um, this kind of dual reality that Calvin and ha- that that Calvin lives in is being uh, this six year old who like knows everything is ready to take on the world, but at the same time a child. Right, and in because I see one of your points in our outline was that you kind of identify more with Calvin's parents, and in talking about those series that I talked about in our Coco Corner, how Bill Watterson rather than having one shot comic strips would do comic strips that have an had an overarching story and there were such you know classic series as calvin cuts his own hair at least once a year during the summer calvin's family would go camping so there would be a whole week of comic strips based around calvin going camping and you know the one week where it just rained the entire time um <laughs> yeah but like you talked about how there's the fantastical side and and the more relatable side there were plenty of series where and strips uh, there was there's a beautiful sunday strip where calvin and hobbs find a dead bird and they talk about the meaning of death and then there's the series where calvin and hobbs find a injured raccoon and they bring it back to calvin's parents and try and save the raccoon and um some of it, I mean, it's kind. Of, some of it is kind of heavy for a <laughs> a six year old, but it's you know I don't have children, and I like a six year old. That's 
I believe maybe that's like the time when children really start to deal with that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it's almost like a, a comic strip that you could read as a younger person, um, enjoy the artwork, the slapstick humor, then read it as an older person, enjoy the vocabulary that and the language that Bill Watterson uses, and then enjoy it as an adult when you're maturing and having your own children and being like, oh crap, Calvin and Hobbes is more relatable than ever because how am I going to talk to my children about death? Right. But I know you said in, or in the outline, it says you relate more to Calvin's parents now than (laughs) Calvin. Um, Or you identify with him more. Yeah, I think that just, uh, once again, I think it's this really just stupid, just really, really talented balance of not vilifying anyone in a con- in the comic strip. Like, there's no discernible bad guy, and like you, you can understand the perspective of every character, and, right? It, and you know, whether it be Roslyn the babysitter or Calvin's parents or you know the Mrs. Wormwood or Miss Wormwood the teacher or Susie yeah. Durkins. You know, you, we we list all these you know secondary characters off here. But there's definitely this. Uh, you can you can sympathize and empathize with each one of their actions and their reactions to Calvin's antics, and mm-hmm. that's why, like, especially with Calvin's parents, because we have so many friends that have kids now and that, yeah. that are going through some of this stuff. It's like, oh yeah, <laughs> like kid, kid, right. kids can be really stupid, <laughs> <laughs> or like we should- you know, you know, uh, Sarah. Uh, as a you know my girlfriend who's who's a teacher you know some of the reactions that like mrs wormwood has you know she was never i would say as outwardly you know sarah's not outwardly abusive like right like mrs. Wormwood, but you can you can tell like there's this underlying frustration of like dealing with this troublesome kid who is like intelligent and means well but just like has no outlet for it within the classroom and just blatantly disturbs the rest of the classroom while he's like trying to be funny. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. One thing I, in identifying more with the Calvin's parents, um, one thing I love about Calvin's dad is that he's a cyclist. Yeah. Um, and, and he's an attorney. <laughs> right. And there's a great uh, strip where he's riding his bike in the snow. Yeah. <laughs> he's like covered. It talks about it hitting his, uh, the heart rate of someone half his age. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, Oh shit. Now I'm thinking about that kind of crap. It's <laughs> yeah, um, totally true. And, and I think it's funny. So I, that's something I shared a lot with my, with Calvin because my dad was a bit, not was, is a big cyclist. And right. he, you know, we see him walk out the door in this like ridiculous get up, like all the spandex that I hit. We used to call him, we used to call my dad bug eyes because he wore those goofy glasses that all of us wear now. Nice. Um, <laughs> and like Calvin's reactions to like his dad walking out and like willingly going on a bike ride are hilarious. So, yeah. Well, especially when Calvin's bike attacks him like a rabid dog or like a horse or something. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Another thing I, why I heart Calvin and Hobbes, and this is more with uh, talking about Bill Watterson, but Bill Watterson hasn't licensed Calvin and Hobbes like a ton of other, well, because I mean, frankly, he hasn't licensed Calvin and Hobbes like a ton of other comic strip artists have, which now is almost the only way to make money as a comic strip artist. Right. So you don't see a ton of Calvin and Hobbes merchandise um, like Garfield or Dilbert. There will never be a Calvin and Hobbes uh, cartoon series um, despite the newspapers. And uh, I think whoever the publisher was for Calvin and Hobbes, it was like universal comics or something like that. They wanted Bill Watterson to, do that kind of thing and to license because Cal- you know they would make boatloads of money because Calvin and Hobbes for the entire run was so popular. But that's what I've really liked is Bill Watterson has, you know, he's just I'm a comic strip artist and I, I'm an artist and that's what I want to do and has main main remained pretty reclusive during his entire time during Calvin and Hobbes his career with Calvin and Hobbes and after his career with Calvin and Hobbes. Right. Yeah, and, and I, I like that. It's not. Um, it doesn't make, it makes Calvin and Hobbes this kind of golden image in our minds and doesn't, it isn't, doesn't become twisted like uh, with Garfield, how, uh, 
now the only funny thing about Garfield is when other people take Garfield strips and like make Garfield just a regular cat or take him away or make him this horrible demon monster. Um, <laughs> or, 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 uh, yeah, there's that fantastic, uh, Garfield movie. Uh, yes, exactly. With, uh, now I will say Jennifer Love Hewitt in that movie. Fox. <laughs> oh boy, Adam. Bill, Bill Murray as Bill Murray as as Garfield. Classic. Fox. <laughs> Did you Dude, ever? Well, go ahead. Sorry, oh, I was gonna say like on that note too. We'll hop into like more of like Bill Watterson in general. But I looked it up, and and you know you mentioned that you know for comic strip artists to make money these days, they, you know they have to sell out more or less like license but there are they estimate um as of you know you know i I would imagine that uh bill watterson is not doing terribly from a financial standpoint so like i think he's you know worth you know at least in the you know you know millions to tens of millions of dollars so i think it's proof that if you stick true or stick to your kind of your values and you and you produce content that people want to consume regardless as to how it's uh distributed i think you can uh you, you can really build on that personally. yeah but um one, one thing on the whole like cycling uh cycling dad thing one of my favorite strips because <laughs> it's really uh i'm gonna explain i'm gonna read off a comic strip uh so <laughs> listeners you're welcome <laughs> yeah enjoy so, it, listeners enjoy it um so it's calvin uh calvin's opening up the front door and he goes hey dad i'm doing a safe a traffic safety poster do you have uh, any ideas for a slogan <laughs> and then calvin uh dad calvin's dad is like in his cycling gear getting ready to go on a ride and he goes sure cyclists have a right to the road too you noisy polluting inconsiderate maniacs i hope gas goes up to eight bucks a gallon then the, the last panel calvin's walking away thanks dad i'll go ask mom (laughs) it's so true (laughs) that's like that was quintessent like quintessentially my dad growing up yeah it was nice but it's uh uh yeah it it was it was just stuff like that where um when i was young i don't i didn't get that nearly as much and now i do yeah. In talking, going back to talking about Bill Watterson and talking about comic strips, uh, and I, I, we can talk about kind of the modern age of comic strips, but you said you're a fan of Pearls Before Swine. Yeah. So did you ever read, did you know that Bill Watterson was a guest artist on Pearls Before Swine? I did. I can't remember exactly when, uh, like w- when it was it was like 2013 maybe 2014 but bill watterson in the in pearls before swine the humor is amazing the art and i think the um artist himself would say the art is pretty basic the characters have just like stick arms and stuff like that and stick legs but in the series that Bill Watterson drew a couple, he, I think he did like a week's worth of comics for Pearls Before Swine. So the it's like the artist is talking with this five-year-old girl, his like next door neighbor who says she can draw his comic better than he can. And it's Bill Watterson drawing Pearls Before Swine. So it's like these really well-drawn characters with a lot of action and so much going on in the background. <laughs> and it's just hilarious because it's like, Again, Bill Watterson just hopping into a comic strip and immediately pushing the medium. And it kind of goes to show that because I, I really like Pearls Before Swine. Yeah. But and I think Bill Watterson worked with Pearls Before Swine because he considers that comic strip and that artist to be kind of what he himself, Bill Watterson, was trying to do with Calvin and Hobbes was to kind of push the medium forward. Um, and also giving more support to comics that aren't as popular. Cause I mean, newspapers hardly take risks on comic strips. They just want, you know, comics that they know are good. Um, so that's why peanuts is still running. That's why Garfield is still running. That's why Dilbert is still running, you know, even like Foxtrot and zits. Those are old, old comics now. Um, and really the place where, new comic artists have found their medium is online. 
because um, frankly, nobody's buying newspapers anymore. But web comics is kind of the place to find that medium being pushed forward. And I, I kind of wish Bill Watterson would come back and do a web comic. That'd be amazing. Um, anyway, so, so did you have something to say, Adam? It's, uh, building off of that point. Um, so I actually pulled up one of the pearls before swine strips, but the, before I read it off yet another joke. Um, Perfect. You know, the, you know, like you were saying before is how Bill Watterson really pushed the medium. And that's one of the notes that we have is just like the artistry behind the construction of the panels and really pushing to not be confined to, you know, three or four boxes within a row because it would like ruin the storytelling aspect of what, of what he was trying to get at within his comic. And, you know, same thing with like the Sundays, like that was one of the things with the 10th anniversary edition where he started to explain more about why his Sunday strips were so uh, fluid and you know the only way he was able to do that was because his comic strip was so popular right. that he was like, no, this is the way I'm going to do it, and this is the way that I. Uh, and you could you could see that progression when he first started and started to push, and definitely got pushed back from the newspaper newspapers, and and he noted that in the 10th anniversary edition, he goes, this would have flowed better if I was able to do this, this, and this. But then right. in the later strips, he's able to do you know just much be much more creative with the use of his space so i think that's that's one thing um yeah totally. i think the second thing is you really get adapt adapted to calvin's personality and mm-hmm. the more you recognize calvin's personality and where he's joking and where he's sarcastic the funnier all the rest of the comic strips become uh, yeah in my opinion but so there's this the one of the pearls before swine things and this goes back to the whole point about kind of uh bill watterson pushing the medium and, and using more space and is first panel is uh, pearls is now drawn by a second grader which is uh, uh bill watterson and you've got pig going so do you think the kind of stuff we talk about will change now that we have a real artist and rat going <laughs> no we'll always be a talking head strip then pig going so then that sometimes has martian robot attacks and it's just like <laughs> a big panel with you know robots attacking the city and and uh <laughs> and it goes back to the original the last panel is uh, the comic strip author oh, says stop showing off and then the little second grader goes I could do much I could do better if I had more space <laughs> right yeah that's <laughs> so, so true of like Bill Waters like poking fun at himself and like his yeah. own presence within the industry right yeah it's like if you just give me a whole page oh I could make this comic so much better for yeah. you <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh yeah I was I remember reading about it online I was like what I gotta see this I got it. Bill Watterson has drawn new stuff since Calvin and Hobbes. It's wonderful. Oh. In r- wrapping up, do you have any more final thoughts for Calvin and Hobbes? Yeah, I'd say I would. I would like to dive a little bit into just what the like what Calvin's imag- imagination, um, how it kind of inspired the rest. I, I guess my childhood, childhood to a certain extent, but like the the themes behind how Calvin got from point A to point B within the story were amazing. So I really liked all the stories around uh, like the transmogrifiers where you basically yeah. just transform into whatever the heck he wanted to the duplicator, which I thought totally. was hilarious when he had like seven or eight identical Calvin clones running around. Well, and in thinking about the comics and now as an adult and even a little bit back then, but it's, there are so many levels to that, especially that duplicator story where Calvin is pretending that he has multiple, like I think it's seven or nine clones of himself running around and doing all this stuff. And it's like a whole week's worth of a comic uh, story where his duplicates are going to school. His duplicates are going to are like eating dinner and bringing dinner back up to uh, his room. So his other duplicates can eat. So it's just, that's on one level funny because it's absurd. But then on the other level is Calvin, the six year old child committing to the joke of, and committing to the fact that he duplicated himself. So in real life, he is the entire time pretending to be these different duplicates. Like I remember there's one comic where he's in school and it's like, Miss Wormwood asks Calvin, like, does he have his homework? And it's like, oh, duplicate six was here yesterday. You can get it from him next week when he's in school. So it's just like, when you think about it, it's these on so many different levels. It's just this hilarity that ensues because 
Calvin is just a who like a six year old. I don't know if a six year old would actually do that, but like having that mental gymnastics of maintaining that joke. I mean, as a older kid, Calvin would be like hilarious, just like maintaining that level of humor, um, something we all strive to be. And that's why we have, you know, such great jokes on this podcast, Adam. (laughs) Exactly. Well, I think that gets into, uh, obviously, you know, you both, you and I said that Calvin and Hobbes influenced our respective senses of humor. And you can clearly see the influence that Bill Watterson and Calvin and Hobbes has had on the comics, on the comic strip industry. I mean, you're like, there's the Foxtrot where literally uh, Bill Amund, you know, he has like different, uh, uh, snowmen and one has like a hole through it. And it's just, it's one of those kind of like slightly twisted, uh, snowscape scenes with snowmen that, that, uh, Calvin would always create in this front yard. Yeah. And the two characters in Foxtrot go, this, is, this is this way. It's an homage, not a ripoff. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, but so, stuff like that, the whole pearls before swine, uh, inclusion. But then, you know, have you seen, um, kind of the young Calvin and Hobbes? It's, a uh- are you talking about where Calvin and Susie Durkins have gotten married and they have yeah. a kid? Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about, where it's somebody paid tribute to Bill Watterson and drew a future uh, Calvin and Hobbes comic strip in the future where Calvin is now a dad and he's given his young six-year-old daughter his Hobbes stuffed tiger. And it's exactly the same. Uh, the six-year-old daughter views Hobbes as an anthropomorphic tiger um, and goes on some adventures. Yeah. It's those comics, the homage to Calvin and Hobbes and Bill Watterson is really touching. Sorry, continue. Yeah, no, no, that's exactly what I was going to say. It's this, you know, the, the legacy of Calvin and Hobbes has continued on beyond just the original strips. Now what does, what, what does uh, annoy me a little bit is like all the, the bootleg Calvin and Hobbes stuff that's out there, Um, especially the one, the, 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 one of the most infamous ones is Calvin and Hobbes that seemingly peeing on something. Oh and, yeah. Yeah, I hate like that. On, yeah. It's on the back <laughs> of all the big jerk pickup trucks. That they, right. I think it's Calvin's cool. peeing on a Ford or Calvin's peeing yeah, on the Chevy that's logo. Not, that's not what's going on. No, no one that, that image never appeared in a Calvin and Hobbes film right. in a Calvin and Hobbes panel. It was actually Calvin filling up a water balloon. Right. And yeah, it just makes me mad because I think that it <laughs> completely destroys the essence of who Calvin is. Like Calvin was never evil and, right. and, mali- and or, or he was never evil and he was malicious, but only in a joking way, right. it, you know, especially when it came to like his teacher or Susie Durkins or, or, mm-hmm. or whatever. And it was all like jokes and good fun. Um, but yeah, it, like I said, it, it, it makes me unhappy <laughs> whenever i see that like you stop that right now adam adam throws a cease and desist uh letter on anybody's truck that has calvin peen on the ford logo or the chevy logo or the dodge ram logo <laughs> yeah, exactly um yeah I, i've always it was interesting because i remember going to the beach and seeing this like t-shirt shop that had uh image of calvin the one where Calvin uh, takes a bath by sitting in the toilet and then flushing the toilet and he spins around. So it's like Calvin on the front of the shirt about to flush the toilet. And on the back, it's the image of him spinning around and like being like, Oh, a Calvin and Hobbes t-shirt when I was younger. And then later being like, Hey, that is unlicensed material. (laughs) You jerk. You can't be using that. Yeah. And I think to, to, to wrap up too. I think the, the big thing for me about Calvin and Hobbes is that it's incredibly funny, very witty, but you know, as you were saying beforehand, you know, it, it can, it is, and can be very, very sen- sentimental. And ultimately it's just a strip about a comic strip about two best friends that, you know, through all, through everything, they're, they're supportive of one another and they love each other, but they, they disagree all the time right and so oh, it's totally. this like very realistic view of friendship this very realistic view of being a child and being parents of being you know a teacher uh so i i really once again i respect and really admire the empathy that bill watterson has built into every single character and the way he constructs stuff yeah totally yeah nice. so in, in some 
listeners, all you billions of listeners out there, mm -hmm, go mm -hmm. go read Calvin and Hobbes. So, question for you, Daniel: Do yeah. you think that people should? Um, is there like a good starting point that you think people should should pick Calvin and Hobbes up? Oh gosh, um, I think starting from the beginning is the place to go. Starting with the very first comic, or even just getting one of the essential Calvin and Hobbes collections. Yeah. So there are plenty of places to find Calvin and Hobbes online. The complete collections are amazing. The 10 year anniversary collection is amazing because it gives insight like Adam was talking about from Bill Watterson and some really good forewords from Bill Watterson. Yeah. Get the books. The books are the place to go, but starting yeah. from the beginning is probably the best. Yeah. And I, I actually think it's almost better to start with one of the, um, one of the weekly panels and going forward to like one of the story arcs, because I think that gives you a better sense of Calvin's personality than going with the super flashy, colorful Sunday strips. But that's just right. me. But yeah. it, and I think that's how my taste has evolved a little bit. I love the the story arcs. And oh, yeah. it, it reads more like a graphic novel than just, you know, a, a flash in the pan joke. Totally. Yeah. But, yeah. Nice. All right. All right. Uh, well, let's hop into recommendations, Adam. Recommendations. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, so last time we had our good friend, uh, Jeff on, Jeffrey, who recommended we watch the movie Outbreak and Tiger King. Uh, did you watch either of those? Nope. <laughs> uh, I did not watch Outbreak. I don't know how I feel about watching a uh, movie similar to the situation we're in right now. Uh, I'm filled with anxiety and anxious enough already. So I'm not sure if I can handle that right now, <laughs> but I did watch tiger King. Katie and I watched tiger King. It was ridiculous. I don't think there was enough murder mystery in it. I thought it was going to be more focused on the murder mystery. Um, so what's the premise of that? So it follows apparently there are a bunch of people in America and people around the world who privately own big cats. And there are big cat, privately owned big cat zoos, mostly in, well, they're everywhere. They're in every state. I'm not going to pigeonhole them into certain states, but the states that are focused in Tiger King are Oklahoma and Florida and kind of that region. But it kind of gives you a glimpse into the world of privately owned big cats. Um, but it also talks about uh, refuge or yeah, tiger rescue owner, Carol Baskins, who they talk about how did she get her money? Well, you know, she killed her husband supposedly, um, or that's what everybody claims. I don't want to get sued for libel or defamatory <laughs> statements. Although I think uh, tiger King has done enough of that. So <laughs> I guess in our lowly podcast, we're probably safe to say that Bar Carol Baskins or Beryl Caskins maybe murdered her husband. <laughs> but it, it, if you're not honestly, the documentary was really eye opening and kind of sad to see how these people are privately owning these tigers and big cats and how there are more big cats and privately owned captivity than there are in the wild. It was a fascinating look. I don't know if the message really, I, I don't know if the filmmakers were getting the message across until like the very end. Like they were certainly giving you the materials to craft the message yourself. But then at the very end, they give like, you know, you know, they're more, they're like a hundred thousand tigers in captivity but only 10,000 in um the wild that's a totally random number i don't know if that's correct uh -huh. but if you want to stay up on the memes adam <laughs> i would suggest watching tiger king it is fascinating if sad and um heartbreaking but uh yeah i would suggest watching it even just for the hairstyles of the people that you meet in there <laughs> okay well i'll consider it <laughs> um and last time you recommended that I uh, listen to the new Lamb of God single, Memento yes. Mori, yes. Uh, which I had already done, which is a great song. Gives me a little bit more hope for the new album. Yeah. And you also suggested I listen to the album. Uh, what is that? That's the Thrice album that you were listening to. What yeah, is it called? It was uh, Palms. That's it. Palms. Yes. Recording on Palm Sunday. Thrice Palms. Haha. <laughs> 
Um, so we talked a little bit about thrice last episode. Um, so back when their album, the artists in the ambulance came out, I actually listened to that album quite a bit. And I, uh, so I did listen to this palms album, Adam, and I was surprised at how much keyboard work was on there. I'll be honest. I didn't find it really grabbing me or groundbreaking enough to make me want to listen to it, but I appreciate the recommendation. No, I mean, it, it's, I, I would not classify it as groundbreaking by any stretch well, of the imagination. In the uh, last episode, you were like this groundbreaking band thrice. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just thought it was uh curious. I let's put say compared to the sound that thrice had prior to, um, the last few albums, I just wasn't as much of a fan. So this, this, gotcha. like their, their sound has shifted. And I think in a positive way for, for me at least. So gotcha. yeah, that, that's why I recommend. And, and cause I, I, uh, had the album, um, the, the, Hisu, the, the, Hisu. um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's the, it's V H E I S S E. Yeah. The Visu. You got we'll it. <laughs> and it was like, oh, it's just like this this groundbreaking album, and you know, it's amazing. And I was like, eh, okay, sure, why not? Um, so I bought it and just wasn't super impressed with it. It just didn't grab me. Gotcha. Um, but then like I said, you know, Palms and To Be Everywhere is to Be Nowhere. The base, the last two studio albums, I, I that their sound is more akin to what I prefer. Gotcha. So I didn't know you. I thought you may like it more than other thrice stuff that you've listened to maybe i'll check it maybe i'll um go back to it at some point give it another uh shakedown but, but i appreciate the recommendation adam you're welcome what um, do you have to recommend to me this week well hold on hold on hold on oh, hold on yep. last time i recommended to oh, you yeah. that you listen to red death's sickness divine did you I listen did, to that i did not listen to that Urgh, adam you should it's All good right. I think you'll like it. Okay. All right. It's in my favorite. Sorry. I'll, I guarantee you I'll listen to it by the next I, time we record. I guarantee. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. What would you like to recommend this time, Adam? Um, so I ha- have you seen the movie 1917 yet? I have not. No. Um, you should watch it. I don't know how, like, do, do you generally like movies like, you know, Saving Private Ryan, Black Hawk Down, that kind of thing? Yes, uh, Saving Private Ryan is one of my favorite movies. Surprise! I, <laughs> so, like the the storytelling aspect of the movie is is solid, but mm-hmm. the I think as a as a self proclaimed cinemaphile, you will enjoy the camera work. And gotcha. The the cinematography in this is stunning. So <laughs> the whole thing about it is that you know that it, it's supposed to be it's like you know sam mendes the director you know he made the movie look like it was shot in one single continuous take which is right. really impressive and it, it was just so it's just it's this very linear very fluid um storytelling throughout and then like Yesterday, I, I watched it yesterday, and literally, I, you know, usually I'm like, you know, checking out my phone every every now and then, and and especially in war movies, uh, but this one really drew me in just just because I like I I was fascinated by the cinematography of it, and it's 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 a World War One movie, and you know, World War One was you know infamous because it was just such a gruesome war, right? And I don't you know. Mendes definitely hits on that on multiple occasions, but it wasn't like disgusting on, gotcha. on, like throughout the entire movie um, or, or like wholly disturbed, but it did, it had this really, really um, visceral feel to um, kind of this helpless feeling that the, the main characters go through throughout the entire one. So yeah, I, gotcha. I, 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 rec- I think, I think you would enjoy it. It's on my list. I want to watch it. Well, thank you, Adam. And what would you like to recommend to me this week? Hmm, let me think. I'll give you another album to listen to. Okay. Have you ever listened to uh, Melvin's or The Melvin's? No. Okay. So they're a band from... They're, they're not like a new band. They've been around forever. And 
I've only really just discovered them, which is silly. Not silly, but, you know, their first album came out in 1989. So I was aware of them, or maybe even earlier. Uh, They're kind of like a groove, a groove metal band kind of almost um very riff heavy with fun lyrics and yeah just kind of groovy music but the album i want you to listen to is called uh senile animal and it's this collection of songs that um at the beginning most of the first five or six songs are like two minutes two minutes and 30 seconds three minutes but then the later songs are like six six and a half minutes. So it's this very interesting collection of songs that I was kind of surprised at how much I liked. Um, and I've just been finding myself going back to this album. Uh, so I would kind of like to talk to you about it and get your opinion on it. Cause again, a little more groove focused, but yeah, please listen to Melvin's uh, senile animal. Do glad. Yay. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Adam. Thank you, Daniel. Um, it's all sure. our- readers slash listeners uh you know we'll, we'll have the full audio transcript uh in the in the show notes so you can read through this uh th- th- this brilliance that is that is your that that is filling your ear holes so we can, so we can fill your eye holes as well <laughs> yeah so you can read and listen to the calvin and hobbs jokes that adam explained <laughs> And then you can, we'll do the same thing for the Simpsons episode. Uh, so you can hear me and read me uh, explaining Simpsons jokes. But yeah, listeners, if you, you know, we, we both highly recommend Calvin and Hobbes, um, especially since we're all locked up in social isolation or, uh, or yes. social distancing and got nothing else better to do. Order some Calvin and Hobbes books. And, and, Hell yeah. And um, and let, let us know what you think. You know, on, on that note, our social media handles are as follows. Daniel, you can find us on Instagram at Passion Fruits Podcast. Find us on Facebook, Passion Fruits Podcast. On Twitter, Passion Fruits P2 or Passion Fruits Podcast. And then lastly, you know, drop us ye old, ye old electronic mail at passion fruits podcast at gmail.com we are also on a blog because we're super cool it's passion fruits podcast.home.blog we're also on youtube we are on every single podcast app that you can find us on drop us a line read it write us a review read us a review just um yeah just do a uh, do it talk to us so <laughs> it doesn't feel like we're talking to the ether and talking to ourselves <laughs> Uh, well thank you so much everybody Adam thank you alrighty <laughs> is Adam still there we're, uh, for uh, everyone for, uh, <laughs> for, for Passion Fruits Podcast I've been Daniel <laughs> and I've been Adam <laughs> <laughs> good morning everybody <laughs> Bye.